I'm your host, Brad Alvarez, and welcome back to the Senior Living Concepts Podcast. Today, we're joined by Fahad Aziz, co-founder and CTO of CareMerge. In this episode, Fahad touches on a number of subjects, ranging from CareMerge's early pivot, how he remains connected to his customer base, and advice for those interested in a career in gerund technology. Throughout the interview, I think you'll be impressed by how humble he remains despite the continued success of CareMerge. So with that being said, let's dive right into the interview. So Fahad, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Senior Living Concepts podcast. For those who aren't as familiar with CareMerge, can you please describe the company and what you provide? Sure, Brad. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, CareMerge, uh, we provide an engagement and clinical platform for uh, senior living communities, uh, mostly assisted living, independent living, and memory care. And uh, it's used by the communities to help uh, uh, improve the co- communication and engagement uh, within the community, but also with the outside, outside stakeholders like family members, uh, and uh, other uh, that are coordinating care. So we have been um, in this business for over six years now uh, and serving uh, over 430 communities uh, across the country. Wow, that is <laughs> that is very impressive. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious too, I mean, how did you and your co-founder even come up with the idea for CareMerge? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, um, I've been in uh, technology industry for over 20 years. Uh, before wow. uh, starting CareMerge, uh, I was not working in healthcare. I was in all different types of industries from fashion to automotive to financials. I did uh, work with insurance companies, traveled around the globe. Um, and then uh, I always wanted to do something on my own. Uh, I tried to do two startups, one in e-commerce, one in fintech, and they didn't work out. So third time, I said, you know, let's do something that... Uh, uh, that uh, is uh, different and something that's more meaningful. And uh, me and my uh, co-founder at that time, we came up with this idea to build Facebook for healthcare. So if you go back to 2012 and 13, everyone was signing up to Facebook. Even my parents were on Facebook. And people didn't really know how they're going to use it. Uh, um, uh, At at that point, people felt it's going to be a real reflection of who you are. You're going to post everything very transparently. Turns out that's not the case anymore. People just want to talk about good things that they do in life. So we felt, you know, why don't we build Facebook for healthcare so that people can talk about their uh, health challenges, their medications, and so on. And uh, turns out it was a really bad idea. Uh, <laughs> no one wants to talk about their illness. Uh, uh, fortunately, we, we came to that conclusion uh, within two months. Uh, of our idea. So then we started looking for what uh, can be done in healthcare, what are the challenges, and we got a chance to spend a couple of weeks in an assisted living community uh, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. And while we were there, uh, we saw a lot of challenges. Uh, Everything was on paper. Staff was uh, uh, working very hard, uh, 24-hour services, uh, long shift, and uh, and family members would come in and they were always unhappy. Uh, they just felt that their uh, grandparents or parents are not being taken care of. So there was a lot of challenges and friction between all the stakeholders. And uh, we, we 
while they're talking to the staff members and shadowing nurses, we just felt that, you know, the technology can solve some of these challenges. So we, we came up with this idea that uh, let's uh, build this uh, coordination or communication platform and start sharing information with the family members and with all the other uh, uh, staff members so that everyone is on the same page. So that was the idea behind Care Merge and uh, we started building it and the same community became our first customer. And related to that, um, you know, you touch on how you, when you first went into this community, you spotted so many issues that could be solved by, you know, properly integrating technology into this community. And I've seen just how wide of an assortment it is that your company offers today to senior living communities. At, you know, at what point did you start to expand into some of these different technologies like voice activation? I mean, was this your game plan from the beginning or did you have to, you know, did you expand these opportunities as as they came as you came across them well uh, absolutely not part of our initial plan um i think as a uh, entrepreneur and as a uh, uh as a technology uh, uh people in this industry it's very important that you need to keep a tap on your customers and understand what the challenges are so uh, when we started building uh, some technology some mobile apps some digital screens for seniors in the community, uh, I decided to take a tour of our customers and see how things are. And while I was there, I went to a number of communities in the Bay Area that are using our system. And I, I came back with this uh, realization that you know, no matter how good our apps are, how user-friendly they are, half of the population will never use it because they just, they just don't know how to connect to Wi-Fi. They cannot remember their passwords. So there must be a better way to connect with half of the residents. Otherwise, our applications will never see the levels of ad adoption that you want. So that uh, started us looking for alternate solutions and smart speakers were just introduced. So we started uh, a partnership with Amazon and say, hey, why don't we bring these Alexas into senior apartments? and see if uh, that can solve our problem. Now, um, Alexa at that time was not built for uh, enterprise launches. It was a more consumer device. Anyone can buy it from, uh, from the store and start using it, but there was no way to manage it uh, for 300 apartments. So then we worked very closely with Amazon to build a platform. And now when we offer Alexa to all these apartments, uh, there's one centralized system to manage the Alexa. Uh, it's it's very um, uh, secure. Uh, it's closed so that no one can misuse it or abuse it. So we brought those additional features to the Alexa, and um, it's it's uh, we we just feel uh, now it's uh, it's the beginning of a new era because having a smart speaker in an apartment can open up endless opportunities. Uh, because now you have built a, a new touch point, a new connection with the residents, which was ne which never existed before. I'm curious on your end. You know, you talk about how some of these seniors struggled even just entering Wi-Fi passwords in the past, and you found this way around it. What was it like piloting the Amazon Alexa? I mean, did you have immediate buy-in from seniors who understood the value proposition, or did you really have to work with them and, and sort of show them how this tool could be used? Right. So um, I was pleasantly surprised that uh, when we brought Alexas to seniors, uh, it was not something uh, 
uh, new for them. They have already received it uh, in uh, uh, in their holidays or uh, by their family members. So many of them either heard about it or they already had an Alexa in their apartments. So the fact that uh, with any smart speaker uh, that you don't have to learn anything, you don't have to have follow any instructions. All you have to do is speak and ask, and it will try to respond. So that that effect itself is such powerful because uh, because of this, now seniors were adopting it more. They were asking things that even I couldn't uh, think of, and and they would tell us that you know, uh, last night I asked Alexa that question and she was able to answer me. So uh, this was one of the only technologies that we have launched with the residents that had a very high adoption and they love it. And understandably so. I mean, just the, the ability to help these residents engage with their community at, at, at a greater scale. I mean, that's, in, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm curious as well, you touched a little bit earlier about how you lived in, in a senior community in Chicago when you were first working on CareMerge. I'm curious, what was the biggest surprise for you from that experience and how has it completely shaped the way that you viewed uh, you know, building this company? Right. So w- when we were there and spending time with uh, staff members, with residents, uh, talking to family members, um, what uh, for me personally, what was most, uh, uh, not a surprise, but uh, uh, something that struck me was uh, that, you know, this industry is all about care and love and looking after people and looking after people that you don't even know. Right. And coming from New York and coming from uh, FinTech, Wall Street, uh, I never saw that over there, that people care for people so much. And even in this industry, you know, what's really uh, what's really interesting is that many of the workers and staff members uh, are not the highest paid job uh, employees. Uh, Many of them are actually on hourly wages. And despite that, they're so happy. They would come into the community and they would high-five, greet everybody, ask for water uh, if someone needs water. So for me, that was a mind-blowing experience. And uh, while I was there, I said, you know, this is the industry I want to be part of. This is the industry I want to do something about. And today, you know, even in our town hall meetings, you know, we remind everyone in the team that, you know, we are just... Uh, very blessed uh, uh, and fortunate people to be part of this industry and doing something for the people that does so good for others. I find it especially fascinating just hearing about your long background in technology before you entered this space. And it's, it's one of those two things, right, where when, at least when my generation thinks of senior citizens, the last thing they think about is technology. I'm curious, how have you kind of seen seniors defying the stereo- these ageist stereotypes and kind of what do you think is the next wave of technology that senior citizens will be able to use to increase their quality of life? Yeah, that's a great question. Like technology for technology is uh, it's never going to work. You know, if uh, I'm putting some new device in my home because it's new, everyone's talking about it, but it's not doing anything good for me, it's not solving a problem, there's a high chance that after a few weeks I'll stop using it. Now, even in the case of uh, 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 older adults, uh, it's no different. Uh, we can put in all the fancy 
smart home automation and do all that stuff. But a few weeks later, if it's not really solving any problem for them, they're going to stop using it. Um, so with, uh, uh, with the Care Merge and with our platform, you know, we wanted to bring uh, value. We wanted to bring value for residents so that uh, they feel that uh, using this technology or that technology uh, really helps them in some way. So I'll give you a few examples. Um, one of the things, uh, you know this more than I do, uh, one of the most important things for seniors is to, is they're always looking forward to the events that are happening. They're always looking forward to the dinner so they can go and meet people, sit down, get served and so on, right? Yep. So those are the two things that become so important for them, but for us, they may not be as important, right? So if there's a technology that facilitates that process for them, that allows them to make dining reservations on the fly, they can just say, hey, Alexa, uh, make a reservation for two people tonight. Or if they can say, hey, Alexa, is there any uh, physical activity that I can attend today? So uh, offering things that really matters to them, uh, I think was the key for our success in terms of adoption and also in terms of, you know, uh, uh, residents uh, willing to uh, learn more and more and figure out how more they can use it for. It's honestly very reassuring to hear you explain how these different technologies can help to kindle you know, more human connections as opposed to serving as a replacement for the human touch. So very much appreciate that. And I'm, I'm curious as well, I mean, I, I read that you have been using data, uh, I'm sorry, that you've been using data that can predict falls. I mean, what does that even look like? How does that work? Right. So this is some of the new projects that we have been working on with some of our partners. And the whole idea is that, uh, as you know, that falls is one of the biggest uh, problems uh, in senior communities. And most of the falls happen at nighttime when there is no nursing. And uh, the only thing that the staff can do is call the 911. And then the, there's so much inconvenience because now the resident goes to the ER, he comes back, he's a different medication. It's just a uh, his challenge. So any falls that you can avoid uh, can have huge implications in terms of savings, in terms of ease and comfort for everyone, including the residents. So, um, so the the uh, the goal that uh, we have is to how can we uh, provide a fall risk score for every resident based on a uh, number of factors. For instance, ha has their medication changed? Uh, have, uh, ha has anyone observed anything uh, unusual? Has that person transitioned in from a hospital or uh, or transitioned in from a rehab? And um, and how is his walking patterns uh, and so on? So taking that data, put it in, putting it in our machine learning algorithm to determine a score that could tell the staff member that uh, this resident is at high risk of falling. So that's a, that's a project that we have been working on with some of our partners. We have yet to see the results, but uh, so far we are very hopeful that uh, this will this will be very impactful. I mean, it definitely seems like something that could have a, an incredibly high impact. I guess taking that to the next level, how are we expecting the community personnel to use this information? How how will they react to knowing that one of the residents is a particularly high fall risk? Right, and that's a great question because uh, in in the senior communities, one of the reasons most of the technologies have failed is because uh, when you deploy those technologies, they create some alerts 
notifications. And then they create so many notifications that it's very difficult to figure out whether the alarm is false alarm or it's not a false alarm. <laughs> and uh, we have so many alarms. So uh, how do we make sure that we uh, uh, communicate to the staff members what is important and uh, in a timely fashion? So the way it works is that uh, uh, it will work since it's still in development. Uh, the way it will work is that it will continue to uh, calculate the fall risk scores and uh, will not uh, sh uh, will be available for staff to see. But uh, once the score passes a certain threshold, that's when it's going to start sharing it with the staff members who are uh, at that time in uh, in the shift and working. Uh, and notify them that, you know, this is something you need to keep an eye on. So it's going to be a very subtle alert, subtle type of notification, uh, not to disrupt their their processes, their work, but at least keep them informed of what could happen. I'm curious how your role has shifted as a co-founder of a, of a tech startup that has since grown exponentially, you know, over the last six years or so. How has your day-to-day -day changed from the early days to now? Well, so um, it has changed, but uh, uh, one of the things that I've already always done is spend time with my customers and with prospects to understand what the problems are and uh, try to translate those problems into solutions. And uh, I still get to do that a good uh, 30 to 40% of my time. I wow. visit my customers, I attend conferences, and when I attend conferences, I go and sit in to the session and just listen. Uh, listen to the presenters, listen to the residents, and try to absorb what, the, what their challenges are, what they're trying to tell. And I think well, that keeps me informed about current challenges, but also what could be coming next. And then I can come back and share that with my team. So I still spend good 30% of my time doing that. And then the remaining 70%, I have a big technology team that I manage. And I also support uh, my marketing and sales team, uh, travel with them, meet with customers and so on. So, um, uh, and there was a time, I uh, must admit, there was a time that we were growing. We were very early stage. We had to build this bigger, big team uh, that I started to disconnect from the customers and focus more on the internal and building the organization. And uh, those the year or two, uh, uh, I started to feel that, you know, I would not be serving my company and my customers if I don't spend time with them. So I, I discussed with my team and, you know, they all agreed and I started to uh, do it more and more now. I really appreciate how humble you are in all this. First off, you know, just the fact that you're there as a fly on the wall at some of these conferences, I would think that you could be a panelist, if not a keynote speaker. So I, I very much appreciate your modesty uh, on that. And I'm curious, when you're in there on the ground in the communities, I mean, are you, you know, just sort of talking to residents and, and seniors more informally? Are you in there almost, you know, demoing the product with them? What does that look like? Yeah, I suppose. So we do a lot of panel discussions, we present, we share our stories, uh, with, uh, we share the lessons that we have learned. But uh, I also spend a lot of time attending sessions and just talking to uh, residents and uh, presenters, understanding their, their, their perspectives. Because at the end of the day, 
everyone who is either presenting or attending those conferences brings a lot of learning uh, that they can share. So I keep telling my team members also that, you know, once we go to the conferences, uh, it's not about just uh, telling people what we do. It's also about learning what they are doing uh, because that, that will help us build better solutions. I would think that's especially relevant in your space with how quickly technologies could shift. What advice do you have for someone who's looking to potentially work in the intersection of senior living and technology in the way that you and your colleagues are currently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, based on my learning, I would I would uh, say there I would give three advice. Number one is that you know you need to spend time with the end user or the customers who's going to use the system uh, and understand what their challenges are. You know, in many cases, you know, we end up spending time with the people who are going to buy the solution, not the ones that are going to uh, use the system. And that creates a lot of problem because now you're trying to uh, build a solution to impress the buyer. But once the buyer buys it, the user doesn't use it and it goes nowhere from there. So spend time with the end user who's actually going to use your product. So that's number one. Um, number two is that go to market is uh, it's not an afterthought. When you are starting working on a product or an idea, you need to start thinking about how you're going to sell it, how you're going to have customer uh, see it, use it, buy it. Um, it could, would it be a direct uh, sales? Would you, would you go through a partnership uh, and so on? Because this market is, uh, has a lot of, has a very few players and a lot of technologies and there's a lot of noise. So it's not easy to sell products uh, so you need to have a very good go-to-market strategy. And I think number uh, number three, I would say, is that you know you need to have a very good team. Uh, you need to have a good co-founders. You have to need to have a good uh, executive team. Um, and uh, you know many people joined our organization and left, and we learned from all those experiences. And I think the people who stayed and were very successful were those who joined the organization because they had some personal experience with this uh, industry, whether their family members were involved, whether they worked in this industry and they wanted to give back. And they brought a little bit of that passion into their job. And because of that, it was not just, for them, it was not just a job, it was more than that. So, you know, you need to find people who really believe in what you're doing and have them join you. And you will be surprised uh, the, uh, with the outcomes when such people work together and the magic really happens. So those are the three things I would uh, 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 advise to young entrepreneurs. I think that's, that's all fantastic advice and such a great note to end on, just giving that positive feedback to the next generation. Uh, Fahad, I, I just really wanna say thank you so much for your time. Really means a lot getting to learn from your experiences and being able to share this with other young professionals in the senior living space. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thanks for listening and stay tuned as we continue to explore interesting concepts in senior living.